Good morning. <laughs> Great are you, Lord. That's, <laughs> I think I could end now. We could just pray and we could go have lunch, right? That's how it would work. Well, for me, here's the thing. I grew up playing a sport called soccer, okay? Any of you guys soccer fans? Um, cool, all six of you. <laughs> what I expected. There you go. Well, I not only grew up playing soccer, but I also played it into my college years. And I know some of you right now are going, wait, did he, did he just say he played college sports? Like, I mean, that guy, like, look at him. Like, <laughs> there's nothing sporty about him. Well, let me clarify a little bit, all right? I went to this really, 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 really little Bible college, Okay. And then in that, with that Bible college, <laughs> basically, if you had a pulse, right, you had any interest in soccer, and you could kick this round ball, congratulations, you made the team, right? No, it might not have been that bad. But the thing is, but growing up for me, soccer was my life. I played soccer year-round. I played indoor, I played outdoor, and over those years, I actually got really, really good at it. Um, that's what my mom would always tell me. So, <laughs> taking her evaluation, and that's what I remember. But one year, my team had this dream season, right? Undefeated, we made this national championships in Las Vegas, Nevada. And this was a big deal kind of the World Cup for 14-year-olds, right? We arrived a day early, we're practicing, and as we're practicing and warming up, you know, we got a chance to kind of size up the other team. And our captains came back and said, look, hey guys, easy win. This is gonna be an easy win. Matter of fact, let's rest the RA squad for the harder teams, right? And we're like, okay, cool. And we go into that first game, that, that easy win, <laughs> somewhat of a blur to me now because all I remember, right, is the field and the excitement and the adrenaline. We're walking on the crowd. It was awesome. I could already picture us getting our medals, you know, me going out to my victory speech. I would like to thank my mom, my dad, my Petaguana, my Star Wars figures, right? I was ready for that. But then confidence turned to fear. Because as the game began, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I watched the ball continually go past our goalie into our goal, right? We were not the ones dominating, and this was a change. Up to this game, we're undefeated. We were so good that we couldn't even try and lose. I don't think anyone had even scored on our team all year. But after 90 minutes... We were defeated, out of the tournament, and on our way home. No applause, no medals, no victory speech. Sorry, mom and dad, right? And before this all happened, this is that thing we're going, remember that phrase, um, what happens in Vegas? <laughs> Stays in Vegas, right? This is before that, but I could have used that then because all I wanted to do was leave that tournament in that memory there. So today, I want us to look at Joshua 7. That's where we're going to be today. 
And it's a chapter where the thrill of victory quickly is replaced with the agony of defeat. The famous Sunday school stories come to an abrupt end. And after those walls of Jericho come tumbling down, we typically stop telling the story because the next scene is different. There's a change. And I see us, I see life in this passage, right? One minute we can be living in victory, the next in defeat. One minute we're undefeated, the next minute defeated and heading home. And think of our Christian lives. We can have great spiritual success in the very next moment find ourselves in the valley of spiritual failure. The distance between a great victory and a great defeat, right, is only one step and often a short one at that. So let's quickly recap the first six chapters. Joshua takes over for Moses and they begin this march towards the promised land. God says, look it, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. Joshua lays out the plans the people say, Whatever you command, we will do, right? Whoever does not obey, put them to death. Remember this, that'll come back to them. The people have had enough of disobedience, right? It caused 40 years of wandering in the desert. And now they're finally crossing over, right? Bring on that land of milk and honey. We're ready. And first they had this miraculous Jordan River crossing at flood stage. Next up is the city of Jericho. They get these crazy instructions and just obey them, right? Strike up the marching band and let's go in circles. That makes sense, right? And the walls fall flat. They are on top, undefeated. They're with their victory speeches, right? I'd like to first thank God for all that he's been doing, always being with us, right? And then the chapter ends. This is chapter six, verse 27, it says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. So we end here and it's go Joshua, go Israel, go God. Woo, yay. Chapter seven starts. But. Now the word but right, always signals change. It's a contrast. Something different is coming. Like you've had these conversations with people, right? It's like blah, blah, yeah, 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 yeah. But. And you instantly go, wait, turn face, wait, but? Because we know but signals change from the previous idea, the thought, the action. And I bet they anticipated what happened at Jericho to happen again and again. Walls just keep falling down, city after city, victory, but that was not to be. And it's these scriptures, right, that they grab my attention. Because I wanna know what went wrong. I wanna know the why. I want to know how to not repeat that and figure out what to do right. So let's see what we can discover going through this text. 7 verse 1 says, But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of the dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Here we get kind of this bird's eye view, right? We're getting a chance to see inside what's actually going on. There's been sin within the camp, right? This sin, this disobedience to a holy God sets up the change, sets up the but. 
right? And currently Joshua is unaware of what's going on. Verse two, Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel near Beth Haven. When they returned, they'd say, told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. Right, the spies return, they give this report and they say, <laughs> we don't need a big group, you know, for this city, no big deal. Remember the other day we took Jericho and like that was way bigger and way easier. That was, that was cake. Right, it's almost like saying, look it, we just took down Stockton, okay? We're just gonna walk into Murata. There's like four people in a llama, like no big deal. We can take that city. And we're seeing the breakdown, the overconfidence, the pride, the arrogance, the lack of leaning on the Lord. And this is when we're most vulnerable. It's not when we're down and out, right? Crying out to God, please help, praying, continually being in prayer. It's really when we're up on top, right? When everything's going great. It's like, I got this God, you know what, I'm good. You go ahead and take the day off. You deserve it, right? And we begin to neglect the one who got us there. Remember, all they did was march at Jericho. God did the heavy lifting. And even here, Joshua, right? You realize there's no record of him praying. He's not on his face before the Lord. At Jericho, in that attack, he's face down. He's praying, asking, listening, waiting upon the Lord. We don't see that here. Verse four, so approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. <laughs> wait, wait, we just win, right? That's what we do. We're on God's team. I think God's on our team. And what should have been an easy victory turns into a total disaster. Now their confidence has turned to fear and they are defeated. The same language of fear, courage, or thing might say hearts melted is used by Rahab chapter, a couple chapters earlier to describe the people of Jericho's reaction as they heard the stories of God's power. Now that same language is used to describe God's own people as they're running from the people of I. And as we'll see, this defeat does not come from the outside, but it comes from the inside. Verse six, Joshua and the, and the elders of Israel tore their clothes in dismay, threw dust on their heads and bowed face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. And this is the agony, right, of defeat, this real grief. Um, it's also, I think, the posture that they needed to be in from the very beginning before the Lord. Then Joshua cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan if you're only gonna let the Amorites kill us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side, right? Wow, Lord, why? Why'd you lead us all the way over here just to kill us, right? We have this whining, we have this tantrum, he's throwing a fit, what are you doing? Who does Joshua sound like here, 
right? Don't, don't point to your left or right. And you're like, spouse, kids, right? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. The reality is this. He sounds like the Israelites crying and whining and throwing a fit to Moses after being freed from slavery. Why did you lead us out in the desert only to die? Let's go back to Egypt. It was better there. Really? Was it better there? I don't don't think it was better there. And Joshua continues his little rant. He says, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to honor your great name? Right? When it doesn't go our way, or how we planned it, we anticipated, how quick are we to blame God? God, um, hey, what's up? (laughs) You missed this? Missed this right here? We just got defeated. What are you doing, right? Where are you? What's going on here? And it's so human nature. We've all been there, you know. Why'd you let this happen, God? And then we basically begin to start counseling God. (laughs) Giving him advice on what to do. Lord, you should have done this. That's what I would have done. This is what you should have done. What about your great name? What are you going to do now? Like, (laughs) look at the mess. What are you going to do? Paul in Romans 11 says this. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? He doesn't answer the questions because he knows they're ridiculous to make the point. Who has been his counselor? Probably all of us at some time. Verse 10, the Lord then said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Remember, Joshua's having his little moment, right? Why? God's like, get up. You know, if you have kids or not, you know this. You've either lived it or you've witnessed the scenario, right? The whining, the fit, the throw on the ground, the flailing. I hope you all lived it or you all did it at one point, right? My daughter, one time, okay, wait, one time, that's funny. Um, She didn't get a princess doll or something glittery, I don't know, lip smackers, I don't know what it was this time. But her world was over. Why did I do that? All of a sudden, on the ground, we're at Target. I'm like, oh no, you're trying to talk reason and like going, that's not gonna work. You're trying to pick her up, that's not gonna work. And all of a sudden, you're just doing the drag out, right? And you're thinking, how many people are filming this for YouTube later, right? But the thing is, is going, oh my gosh. And this is how I see Josh here, really, right? On the ground, he's limp fish, whatever. Oh my God. And God's like, okay, you done? (laughs) Done with all this, right? This tantrum whining, counseling me? Get up. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they've not only stolen them, but they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. Hey, Josh, here's why, right? Israel has sinned. That's why you're running in defeat. Israel has sinned. 
And God here holds the whole nation liable. And although we may see many points up to this and the missteps that they've taken, the main issue of all of this is that a sin has been committed against the Lord. So it really wouldn't have mattered how many people they sent to I because they would have got defeated. They could have sent them all. They would have still lost. The sin in the camp needed to be dealt with before the advancement was gonna take place. Back in chapter six, God had said, look it, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourself will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made of silver, gold, bronze, and iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. So before they entered Jericho, God gave them strict instructions, right? He said, do not, okay, I repeat, do not take anything. Destroy everything except for the gold, silver, bronze, and iron. This first city, Jericho, these first fruits of the promised land are to be offered to me and then everything else destroyed. God continues and says, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. In the morning, you must present yourselves. And he goes on to explain that each tribe will then be down to each clan, to each family. This announcement to the people, right? There's been sin in the camp and it must be removed before we move forward. And I, God, will separate out this sin to the guilty party. I will take what is hidden and bring it out in the open. I wonder what was going on in Achan's mind as he heard this announcement, right? Because we're told in the beginning it was him. Did he think that maybe, maybe I could fool God, get away with it? Maybe someone else did something worse, so by default, you know, they're a little bit more guilty than me. Maybe he buried it deep enough to where God didn't see it. I bet at first he thought he was safe. He's looking at the group and going, there's a couple million people. What are the chances of it being, you know, coming down to me? It's that whole idea of going, I'm not guilty till I'm caught. Right? Achan probably didn't see that sign that read, I saw that, God. You guys seen that? <laughs> you look at that and go, I'm not sure I'd buy that. Like walk by that every day and be like, oh. But the thing is, is he doesn't, he's just moving on with that. He goes, here he could have confessed, right? But he doesn't. He lets the process play out. wonder how he slept that night in his tent on top of the stuff that he took from the Lord. And in his tent, the reality is this, is that I don't know what his family's involvement was at all. You know, if they knew, if they didn't know, he was digging a big hole and it's like, nothing to see here. I, I don't know what happened there. But in the morning, Joshua brings the tribes of Israel then he brings the clans. Then he brings the families. And I'm sure Aiken's going, well, we're now, we're, now we're down to my family, right? Then his family comes up. In verse 18, it says, Aiken was singled out. 
guilty. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. I'm amazed that he could even speak, right? Can you imagine being called out by God in front of the entire nation? But his confession is this point-by-point diagram of how sin temptation works, right? Remember, he's a soldier. They've won victory, right? They've taken the town. They're going through the spoils. But he knows that, here's the deal. This is what the Lord requires. But as he's going through, I don't know what it looked like, but you know, all of a sudden he's like, oh man, see that Babylonian robe? Man, design it, right? It's like, wow, limited run, check this out. No way, I've always wanted one of these. Puts it on, you know, it's like, man, it's my size. What are the chances? Man, do I look good in this? <laughs> do we really need to burn this? Right, and then he's going more, and he's like, man, there is so much silver and gold. You know, God won't miss a little, right? It's for the family. You know, we've been eyeing that new chariot XL, right? It's got sheepskin. All right, come on. God's got plenty, like, isn't it? Cows, cows, thousand cattle, whatever it's called, thousand hills, all that stuff. He's got way too many. And this is exactly how sin happens. It's in stages, right? We see the three verbs. I saw I wanted, or your thing might say covet, and I took. And we see this pattern over and over throughout Scripture, right? Eve, what did she do? She saw, looked good, wanted, took, right? Lot, looked towards Sodom, moved his tent a little closer, moved in, dwelt among. David, right? Saw Bathsheba, whoa, right? Wanted, inquired, took. It's the pattern of sin and the rationalization that comes with it, right? Achan must have been like, look, (laughs) we've been in the desert for a long time. Like, I deserve this rope, right? Who's gonna miss it? No one will ever know, right? Don't want that to go to waste. Burn that, really? Not hurting anybody, no big deal. And the excuses can go on and on, but they all fall short. Verse 22, so Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran into the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. The sin now is unearthed and exposed. Numbers 32 says, be sure your sin will find you out. And if you look at the wording, right, be sure your sin will find you out, right? Will find you. You know, it doesn't mean the idea of found out, it's you. It will discover you. Whether or not others discover it, you can't run from the consequences of that. And know that you are never alone in your sin. 
God is always present, always knows. There's no such thing as secret sin. Nothing can be hidden from God and nothing escapes him, right? And this can be either an encouragement or it can be dreadful, right? Depending on where you are. Because God sees everything that we do in the dark or in the secret. And furthermore, we're fooling ourselves if we think that our sin only affects us. Disobedience here brings ruin even upon the innocent. 36 die because of this, right? The whole nation is held accountable because of this. Sin's effect goes beyond the initial sinner. We don't sin in isolation, right? It's my sin, it's not bothering anyone, it's my choice, wrong, right? Tell that to the family affected by adultery or addiction or abuse. Sin affects everyone around you in one way or another. And even more, if we're a believer, right? It affects the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're one body and our actions matter. And the chapter ends, verse 24 says, then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons and daughters and cattle and donkeys, sheep, goats, tents, and everything he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord now will bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and buried their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remain to this day. And this is why the place has been called the valley of trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. The consequences for sin here are devastating, right? They're tragic for both the sinner, his family, and the whole nation, right? And although this payment, this consequence for Achan's sin might seem harsh to us today and hard to swallow, I'm always reminded that that same God, right, willingly sends his only son, Jesus, to what? To die a brutal humiliating death on a cross for our payment, right? For our disobedience and becomes our substitute and takes what we deserve, death. And that's hard for me to swallow. So once Israel, once Israel dealt with the, the sin, as the Lord commanded, by his grace, the blessing and strengths of God resumed. Chapter eight starts this way. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack I. For I have given you the king of I, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroy Jericho and its king. But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. The nation now moves from defeat to victory, right? They take the city of Ai and God tells them, keep everything for yourselves. And you read this and you go, Achan, <laughs> you were one chapter off, right? 
You kind of you added a chapter, but you're one chapter off. <laughs> he gave up what God had for him for momentary pleasure, right? The Babylonian robe, right? Some chump change. For what? <laughs> for what? Oh, how sin lies. Its promises only bring defeat. They bring pain, they bring destruction, they bring death. When all along God had better plans. Better plans for hope, for future, for life. And like I said in the beginning, right, these are the scriptures that grab my attention. I wanna know what went wrong and how not to repeat that. And what we see from the very beginning of this story is the, writers, the writer is focusing our attention on one thing. There's been a violation against God's holiness, against God's command. There's sin in the camp. And God takes sin very seriously, showing it's destructive and that it needs to absolutely be removed. So the question for all of us is this, right? Is there anything hidden in your tent? You know, is there anything hidden in your tent? If you stop and you take a personal inventory of your life and you look through things, and you're very careful, right? You look through all the sides and the corners, right? kind of grab into your thoughts, every single part, if you shine a light through all that. Are there things that you've allowed in? You've rationalized. Things that you've become comfortable with. Are there areas of your life that you've hidden from others, right? There are areas that you think you're hiding from God. Or are you taking sin too lightly and you're allowing things that just can't stay to remain? What are those things that you've buried beneath your tent? What sin is in your tent that you need to acknowledge, you need to dig up, and you need to remove? What sin is in your tent that you need to acknowledge, you need to dig up, and you need to remove? Victory from sin is only found in surrender and obedience to the Lord. Don't let sin in the camp destroy what the Lord has ahead of you. Don't let sin in the camp destroy what the Lord has ahead for you.